This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include The Pegasus Project revealed that super cybersecurity tools got into the hands of bad actors. Are Mac devices safe? Also, get ready to bid farewell to the 3G wireless network as carriers announce their dates for shutting it down. Surprisingly, many portable devices still use 3G. So, what happens when 3G disappears? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing really well. I think you have some news for our listeners. I do. This is good news. And we mentioned this last week that I was going to be getting a MacBook Air without fans. So now I can actually use Skype on the computer that I'm looking at and doing the show from instead of having to use Skype on my iPhone, on a weird stand, on my desk, just to kind of get around that extra fan noise that Skype was causing. Good grief. So I'm, I'm very happy to say that I have a fanless Mac now and I don't need to worry as much anymore about noise. How many years have we been doing this podcast, Josh? Um, since 2017. Yeah. And you've been dealing with this problem <laughs> since 2017. We'll be getting on to four years pretty soon, actually. This is episode 197 and we'll be up to episode 208 in, well, a couple months' time. Yeah, it's right around the corner. I'm very happy for you. You've also got a new microphone, so on your end, everything has changed. You've become a professional <laughs> podcaster. Well, I mean, I had a pretty decent microphone before, but it was just kind of antiquated. I, it, it was, yeah, a 2009 model microphone, so at this point, that's that's pretty old. Okay, so we've got some news this week. It was update week, but not Everything got updated this time. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. So on Monday, Apple released iOS 14.7, tvOS 14.7, watchOS 7.6, and Safari 14.1.2. What they didn't release, though, is kind of more interesting. Usually iOS and iPadOS get updated simultaneously. And in this case, it was just iOS for some reason. And it was just the current version of iOS, by the way. So, you know, sometimes they do release an iOS 12 update at the same time. They didn't do that this time. And they didn't even release an iPadOS update. And also, there's no, there's no macOS update this time either, which is kind of interesting. Now, usually... Apple will release the details They'll on, they have a security updates page where they list all of the recent updates that they've put out. And if there's any security related content, they'll let you know on this page. And in this case, they just say details available soon. Well, that website has said that since Monday. Now we're recording this on Wednesday morning and it still hasn't been updated and we still don't have iPad OS or Mac OS updates. So that's a little weird. Well, my bet is that by the time people listen to this podcast, the updates will be out for the other operating systems and we'll be able to talk about them next week. But clearly there's something, we've said this many times, if they don't update all the operating systems at once, that means there's something that they can't talk about until it's it, until it's been updated on every OS, and there is something that needs to be updated. So right, 
Presumably, Apple is concerned that if they give some information about some vulnerability that's been patched in the things that have been patched so far, then people might be able to use that information to figure out how they can exploit the other things that haven't been patched yet. So, yeah, hopefully very soon we will have the details and we can share those with you. One thing that we do know probably was fixed in iOS 14.7 is the Wi-Fi issue that we've mentioned a couple of times recently. There was a researcher who uh, on Twitter has been putting out, you know, a couple of different Wi-Fi network names that if you create a Wi-Fi network with that name and somebody connects to it, they won't be able to get online anymore, which is kind of a problem. And so this is one thing that we know was um, being fixed as of the iOS 14.7 beta. So presumably that has been fixed in the final version of iOS 14.7, which is out now. So even though we don't know all the details, you should update. Okay, in other news, speaking of vulnerabilities, the Pegasus Project, I'll link to the main Pegasus Project portal, if you could call it that, on the Guardian website. They have dozens of articles about this. Now, we talked about this in the past, that Pegasus was used to hack certain people, and they've got a lot more information. They have names of people, such as the French president, such as, you know, other politicians in different countries who were hacked by this. The problem is that we think that iOS, that iPhones are secure and they're not. And these are vulnerabilities that get exploited really quickly by a company that pays millions to black hat hackers to buy these vulnerabilities. And we're in a difficult situation right now, seeing that people are hacked and in some cases murdered because their iPhones were compromised. And yet Apple says, well, it's not that big a deal because it's secure enough for almost everyone. Yeah, the exact quote, we, we should read what Apple actually said because this is important. And we, we don't want to uh, give the, the wrong impression about what exactly Apple's trying to say here. So the, the exact quote is, Apple unequivocally condemns cyber attacks against journalists, human rights activists, and others seeking to make the world a better place. For over a decade, and this, this is kind of, yeah, yada, 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 the typical marketing stuff. And then they say attacks like the ones described are highly sophisticated, cost millions of dollars to develop, often have a short shelf life, and are used to target specific individuals. Now, it's that last little part that's a little bit iffy, but let's finish their statement. While that means they are not a threat to the overwhelming majority of our users, again, I disagree with that. We continue to work tirelessly to defend all our customers... Really? Because you just kind of said that you didn't. And we are constantly adding new protections for their devices and data. Well, that part is true because they, you know, they do add new security protections when they come out with a new operating system version. But where this gets a little bit dicey is when they they say that, well, this doesn't affect most people. And so the majority of overwhelming majority of our users don't need to worry. It's not a threat to you. Okay. So you're admitting then that it is a threat to some people who are your users and that's not a problem to you? I mean, obviously it is, but the, the way that they're sort of, help me out here. Um, they say that security researchers agree that the iPhone is the safest, most secure consumer mobile device on the market, but that doesn't mean it's really that secure. I mean, it is secure. Is, is 99% secure good enough? 99.5, 99.7, how secure is secure enough when Apple advertises the security and privacy of these devices? Well, right. And, and if obviously no device is going to be 100% secure because it's impossible because anytime that you have 
code, it's going to be something that somebody can figure out a, a problem with. They can find something wrong that they can exploit. Um, we're humans and, you know, we built the systems, we built the code. And so we are fallible and we're going to make mistakes, right? So there's never going to be anything that you can truly say is 100% secure because if it was built by fallible humans, well, it's not 100% secure. Even if at the current time you think that it's 100% secure, I can pretty much guarantee that a year, two years, 10 years down the road, somebody's going to find so many vulnerabilities in the intervening time that if you knew that in the present time, you would realize, oh my goodness, my device was not secure at all, right? Well, it's not that it was not secure at all. It's that it's that someone managed to get through something, right? Saying it's not secure at all means it's, it's wide open and anyone can get in. There was a tiny little crack that someone got in. I want to mention a, I'm going to link to a Twitter thread by Reed Albergati. He's a Washington Post journalist. He's pointing out that one of the problems with the iPhone is that Apple releases iOS, new major iOS versions at the same time every year. They have a deadline that matches the hardware. And that this means that if there are problems in new code, they might not be able to find them for a while. If every year they're iterating a whole new operating system, and I know it's not everything that changes in the operating system, but there are new vulnerabilities that could be found every year, and that deadline could make it a little less secure over the long term. While Android does a release pretty much every year, it's not the same time every year. Sometimes it's at the beginning of the year, sometimes it's later, whereas Apple ties this since it's so intricately linked to the hardware, the iPhone, and the iPhone is released every year at the same time, the new iOS has to be released at the same time. Yeah, this is a fair point. Um, however, I would argue that for a company with as much money as Apple, they could stand to hire some additional quality assurance testers, right? So, I mean, Apple has more money than basically any company on earth. If this were a small software company, then I think this argument would be a little bit stronger that having like a, a fixed deadline every year when they're going to release an operating system would be more, maybe more of a, a potential problem if they don't have the resources to ensure that it's thoroughly tested. But for Apple, I feel like, you know, be, because of how much like cash Apple has laying around that they could be using toward this. That's not really an excuse for Apple. That's my my view on it. Okay, I, it's a fair point. But the fact that they iterate every year means that there's always going to be new potential for vulnerabilities. Now, we don't know if the vulnerabilities that were used for this spyware were in the latest version of iOS or if they were in iOS two years ago and had never been discovered, right? Well, that's true. In fact, it's very possible that some of these vulnerabilities that NSO Group is using for their Pegasus spyware have been around for quite a while and may affect multiple versions of iOS. Now, th this is one of those things where obviously when they find a vulnerability, they're not going to report it to Apple because they need to use that vulnerability. It's sort of, a, it, although obviously the goals are very different between these types of groups, it's sort of similar to the way the jailbreaks work. You know, the jailbreak community finds a vulnerability and now they can use that vulnerability until Apple patches it to be able to allow people to jailbreak devices. And so the, the NSO group, obviously, they're keeping things a lot more secretive. And 
they have a very tight knit group of developers. They have very, you know, secretive users. These are all government and law enforcement agencies that are working with the Pegasus spyware that NSO group makes. So um, it's, it's much less likely that the details of any particular vulnerability are going to get out there or get back to Apple. Unless somebody happens to find a compromised device, identifies that it's compromised, gives it to Apple and says, here, try to work backwards and see if you can figure out how this device was exploited. Um, you know, and, and that may not necessarily be easy to do. It's also worth pointing out that NSO Group doesn't find all these vulnerabilities themselves. They buy them on the black market for millions of dollars. And that's why Apple's statement says that these attacks cost millions of dollars, because this is this is what black hat hackers or, or black hoodie hackers do. They look for vulnerabilities that are serious enough that they can sell them to companies like this. And this is partly why Apple started a bug bounty program, right? So they could get hackers to, to tell Apple so they could be fixed rather than go off and make more money to buy a private island. Right. Uh, of course, and the, uh, the idea behind this uh, bug bounty program in general is to incentivize researchers, even though they may not be able to make as much money from the bug bounty program, they're still able to, in some cases, make quite a bit of money and have you know a comfortable living without having to feel any guilt about having sold this vulnerability on the black market and who knows who's going to end up using it against whom. So that, that's kind of the idea behind a bug bounty program. Um, it, it makes sure that more stuff gets patched, it puts more people in the mindset of, oh, hey, I want to go find vulnerabilities. And they're reporting them directly to the company so they can get fixed. And you know what? Every once in a while, I'm sure that you're going to have people discovering the same vulnerabilities that the NSO group is also finding and using. So it's, it's definitely a good thing to have bug bounty programs for a lot of reasons. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about 3G. No, I mean 3G. We're not going to talk about 5G. We're going to talk about 3G, the old one. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so 3G... Now, about a week and a half ago, I decided I wanted to buy a cheap phone to put in the car in case something happens, in case, I don't know, my partner's out, her, her iPhone dies, she needs to call, right? You get one of those cheap $20 feature phones, the Nokia, whatever, 105, I think they sell here. You drop a SIM card in, you put it in the glove compartment, turn it off, leave a battery pack, and you've got a phone. 
A couple of days later, I read that EE, which is the phone network that I use here in the UK, which is the largest phone network in the UK, is turning off the 3G network sometime next year. Now, these feature phones are mostly 3G phones. In fact, some of them are 2G phones. And this got me looking into the 3G networks, and I was very interested to find how much I discovered that's going to go off when these networks turn off. Now, all of the networks in the U.S. are turning them off around sometime next year, 2022, or maybe early 2023. The, the, pretty much all around the world, 3G is dead, and there are a couple of reasons for this. They can shift the, the 3G hardware and spectrum to 4G. They can't use it for 5G, though. So they'll be able to free up more hardware and more spectrum for 4G. And there just aren't that many people using 3G. Someone from BT, so formerly British Telecom, that owns EE, they said 3G usage has been in steady decline, now representing less than 2% of data traffic over the EE network. Now, that made me think of math, because I studied math in school, and 2%, that's 1 50th. So one out of every 50 kilobytes is from a 3G device. But since 3G devices don't get much bandwidth, like a hundredth of the bandwidth of 4G devices, does that mean there are as many 3G devices still in service as there are 4G devices? Well, one, one question that comes immediately to mind to me about this is, do they really know those are 3G devices or do or is it just that those devices are connecting to the 3G network? Because it is certainly possible if you have a 4G or 5G capable device for it to not connect to the 5G or, or 4G network. It, so it, it's you could still be connecting to a 3G network in certain cases if you have, uh, even if you have a newer phone. Yes, that's true. If the network isn't strong enough, it'll generally fall back. I haven't seen that in a long time, but uh, I have seen that in the past. But what I looked into was the number of devices that actually use 3G. So the first thing I thought of was the Kindle. There's been a cellular Kindle since the very beginning. People pay, I think it's 60 or $80 more for a cellular Kindle, which gives them worldwide free cellular access for the life of the device. And that's going to disappear. It's only the two latest Kindles that are 4G. And these were, I believe, 2018 and 2019, which also made me realize, wow, they haven't updated the Kindle in a long time. It's not like iPhones where you get a new one every year. But all of these 3G devices will lose that 3G. And I don't know what Amazon's going to be doing about that. But when you look at how many other devices use 3G, there are millions of home alarms that use 3G. A good way to think about mobile networks is the lower the generation number, the longer the range. So while you're going to get less bandwidth in 2G than 3G and less bandwidth in 3G than 4G, you're going to get more range. 5G for really high bandwidth, as we talked about in the past, you, you have to be very close to a mast. 4G, you're further. 3G, you're even further. So home alarms use 3G because it's stable, reliable, it's easy to use. And there are millions of homes that are going to lose their cellular access. Now, I think what usually happens is, is alarms, they'll have Wi-Fi by default, but if the power goes out, then they'll still have a battery and they'll be able to use 3G. Now, I happen to have a Ring alarm system, and you have a Ring doorbell, and I contacted Ring and I asked them about it, and they said, oh, no, we're all 4G. Once we heard that the network's going to start closing, we put 4G in all our devices. But if you have an, a, a standard what, what would you call uh, a vendor alarm system where you pay a subscription to a company and they put their box on your house, then you're probably using a 3G device. So this is something that you should be aware of. If you haven't 
had your alarm company come out for many, many years, and let's say more than five years, you really should probably contact your security alarm company and make sure that that equipment is still going to be working once the 3G networks get shut down. Because especially for the older models, I imagine most of them do not actually work on Wi-Fi. So, you know, definitely something that you'll want to check out with your alarm company. Now, just in case Tom Cruise is listening to this podcast, here's a plot point for a Mission Impossible movie. Uh huh. At 12.01, the day that 3G gets turned off, that alarm system is not going to phone home. Yep. And that's a perfect opportunity for somebody to break into that home. Yep. So there's a lot more than just alarms. There are cars that use 3G technology for navigation systems. So when you have a a GPS system in your car, you generally have all the maps loaded on your car, but what you don't have is the live traffic information, and that you get by 3G on many cars. Newer cars are obviously using 4G, or maybe Tesla's used 6G by now, I don't know. But there are a lot of older cars that are going to have this problem. In the EU, there is an e-call emergency system. So I think all cars made after 2018 have to have a system where if there's a shock, It'll make an emergency call, kind of like if you're wearing an Apple Watch and you fall down. And this uses both 2G and 3G, but it's not going to use 4G for a number of reasons, for range, etc. They can't use that. One other thing that I find really interesting, in the UK, they've been rolling out smart electric meters for several years. It might be about six or eight years. And these all work with 2G. Now, I believe they spent £11 billion on these, and they use 2G, again, for range, They don't need to send a lot of data, but they need to connect. And they've spent so much money that they're actually going to keep the 2G network running in the UK because of these smart networks and also because of this e-call system, which can use either 2 or 3G. So it's really interesting to see how many devices will lose access. On top of that, there are industrial sensors that use 3G. There are standalone security cameras or other GPS devices that may have a... If you ever buy a, a tracker for a dog, right, and you put a SIM card in it, that's going to be using 3G. So all of these devices are just going to stop working one day. By the way, Kirk was joking a little bit about 6G. So 6G is currently under development, so Tesla's not actually using 6G. Yeah, that was a joke. <laughs> well... <laughs> It'll be out soon enough. So one of the problems with switching these devices from 3G to 4G, and and this I discovered in an article about M-Purse devices, mobile personal emergency response system devices. These are the little push buttons that elderly people have. So if they fall, they push a button, it calls. Right. These use 3G, but if you make them with 4G, they need bigger batteries and they have bigger hardware and they become larger and heavier. And so they're not that easy to replace. That could be kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah. So so this is actually a big issue that 3G is disappearing. It's not just for phones. In fact, phones are the, the, the low end of usage, I think. Now, Nokia, I don't think you have the Nokia 105 in the States. It's the kind of candy bar one. They're coming out with a 4G version at the end of this month here in the UK. Uh, so there are these little feature ph- phones that are 4G. They do cost twice as much as the 3G versions. But, you know, if you want a dumb phone like that, you're going to pay for it. But if you do have a dumb phone, or let's say you have parents or elderly relatives to whom you gave a very simple mobile phone, you'll need to check if they'll be able to use that mobile phone after the cutoff. Yeah. And actually, this is one of the reasons why we thought it might be worth discussing this, too, is that, you know, it's probably not 
terribly likely that you've still got a relative who's using a pre 4G iPhone at this point. But, you know, if if you've got some of these older flip phones, candy bar phones, um, or even some really early Android phones, there's a good chance that you you know somebody who's using an old phone that they just don't really feel like they need a smartphone or a newer model. And so they're still using some really old thing that's just not going to work anymore. And so it's much better to upgrade that phone in advance rather than find out that you can't make calls anymore and then take it to the to the carrier store and try to get it figured out. Because I, I, I kind of feel like at least for a couple of days, the stores are probably going to be pretty busy with all kinds of people coming in and saying, my phone doesn't work anymore. Well, the thing is, they're still selling these phones. Carriers are selling them, stores are selling them, Amazon's selling them. So you can buy tons of 3G phones. And, and it's true that you've still got a year or a year and a half before the cutoff, depending on where you are, which country, which network, et cetera. And, and given the cost of the phone, it's not that big a deal if you spend 20 bucks now for a phone that you're only going to use for a year and a half. But still, you'd think that people would want to plan ahead for something like that and not most people aren't going to know. Most people don't listen to this podcast and they're not going to know about this. So as Josh said, if you do know someone who is in this situation, maybe buy them a 4G feature phone for Christmas this year. Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, you ought to let them know that, hey, that that phone looks really old. I'm not so sure that's going to work in a few months. Yeah. One thing to consider is you might not be able to fit your existing SIM card in the new phone because older phones had that really big SIM card. And now they went from what to to mini and then to micro. So the new ones are really tiny. Now you can buy SIM card adapters or you probably get a new SIM card from your carrier with the same number. Is that how it works? Yeah. Well, if if you, if your older phone has a big chunky SIM card and you get a new phone that, you know, it has a much smaller SIM slot, obviously you're going to need to get your carrier to give you a new SIM card because you're not going to be able to use the old one. Well, that's not true. You can go on Amazon and you can buy a little device that you put the SIM card in and you press it and it cuts it to the size. Really? Oh, I, I haven't heard of those. Yeah, you can go on Amazon and buy a SIM card cutter and they can cut into the three sizes. The, all the ones I'm looking for, they have the little adapters. They even have one of those, what do you call the, the SIM tray opener that you get with an iPhone, you know, that looks kind of like a paperclip? Yeah. I, I, isn't it just they, called they, the SIM tray opener? <laughs> well, maybe that's what it's called, but they all have one of those, the kind that you get with an iPhone. Right. They all have. So Interesting. You can get one of those for, I don't know, less than 10 bucks. Anyway, 3G may be old, but you may have devices. And I'm interested to see what Amazon's going to do about people with Kindles, because Kindles aren't like smartphones. They'll last for a long time. You could have a 10-year-old Kindle and still use it with no problem. So my guess is that Amazon is going to offer people a discount on upgrades. Well, one thing I think is really interesting about this is that that was a selling point for the original Kindles, which came out around 2007. And for about 10 years, they were still, you know, using pre 4G technology because that's what existed. That's what was out there. And so it was it was pretty much stated. I don't know if they like outright said you will, you know, forever and always be able to get over the air updates with these. But they definitely implied that that was something you would never have to worry about. And of course, I don't really think that Amazon really foresaw that, you know, in less than 15 years from when that device came out, that 3G was no longer going to be a thing. And well, not only that, I, I, I guess Amazon doesn't mind if you buy a new Kindle model. Honestly, if you're using one from 2007, that's a pretty old model at this point. 
But if you're using one from 2017, you only have 3G. The only 4G models are the latest Kindle Paperwhite, which came out in late 2018, and the latest Kindle Oasis, which came out in mid-2019. Everything before that uses 3G. Now, I think most people probably buy Wi-Fi models. Anyone who would buy a cellular, what would they use it on? Maybe they travel a lot and they don't want to try to connect to Wi-Fi networks because it's easier. Yeah, and I think that is the main use case. But And that's also why you actually might want 3G capability in some of those devices, just because if you're in the middle of nowhere, you may not really have 4G or 5G necessarily wherever you might happen to be. You're more likely to have 3G signal. Yeah. Okay, anyway, you want to check your old devices. I used a picture of the iPhone 3G to illustrate the article on the Indigo Mac security blog. Curiously, my partner pulled out an iPhone 3GS that used to belong to her daughter, and I fired it up, erased it, restored it, and it works fine. So I'll be able to use that for about a year and a half. <laughs> All right. I don't know why you'd want to at this point, but... Well, why not? It's nostalgia. It's like every once in a while I pull out an old scroll wheel iPod to listen to music. It's just, you know, reminding me of the good old days. Okay. An iPod without Wi-Fi. Think about it. Okay. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.